And welcome into episode 37 of We Went Blues, Jeremy Rutherford and Barrett Jackman of the Athletic St. Louis. And uh, we have a great guest this week. We have the one and only, the Nine of Hearts, <laughs> Holy Jumpin', Little Man of Gumption. It's Darren Pang. Can't wait for this one, Jax. That's no, uh, our best guest so far. Know, uh, <laughs> you know, we got uh, the other DP uh, earlier on, but uh, Pang, thanks for uh, for doing this. You're welcome, big boy. It's always my pleasure. You know that. And uh, DP, like, is in David Prawn, 57? DP 57, DP 40. That's that's pretty good. That's too, he's not a little guy, though, but he's got some gumption. And when he's got the puck on a stick, he's got some gumption. He doesn't want to give that sucker up. That's great news. What's the math on there? 57 minus 40 is what? That would be 17. I went to Swarbrick <laughs> in High School in Apia, Ontario. <laughs> I, uh, math was not good for me, so that, that I'm glad you went that number, and I think I got it right. <laughs> and 17 on the blues is? Uh, Shorty. Yeah. Shizzle Shorty. Well, Swizzle Swords for sure. I think we made, uh, uh, oh God, what's the Twitter account that's, um, the Schwartz is... Uh, Civil? Civil War Schwartz. Man, we mentioned him on the air a couple of times, and boy, did that, did that uh, tw- Twitter account blow up, huh? <laughs> I love when Swizzle's going. I, I love that. Even uh, in the game last night against New Jersey, he gets, and you played with him, so you know, he gets, he gets so frustrated with, you know, when, he's, when he disappoints other people, but if he disappoints himself, and he came to the bench... I, Yesterday, and I love being between the benches. And he just kind of put his, you know, head on his arm, and you could tell he wanted to snap a stick. He had another great scoring chance. And I put, I put my, I've got a talk back button which goes right to Tim Paps, our producer, and then I've got a cough button. So if you, you know, you got cough, or you, you don't want a player or somebody to hear, not a player, somebody to hear you on the air, you just press the cough button. So when I'm talking to the players, I got to reach for the cough button, otherwise my mic is alive. And I, I leaned over to him. I'm as close as you and I, Jax, and I said. Keep your head up, Swizzle. You're, keep your head up. You're going to get one. You keep her going, you know. And Steve Ott could hear me. And, uh, and he kind of looked at me and he gives me a wink like, you know, we need, the, you know, <laughs> these guys need a little positive reinforcement. And, and he scores, you know, he did score. And the look on his face when he goes across and, and gives high fives. But I don't know if anybody's more tough on himself when he doesn't score or make a play than Jaden Schwartz. He demands a lot from himself. And that's probably why he's such a good player. We've got a lot to get into in this episode of We Went Blues. We're going to ask Darren Pang later on, where did Holy Jumpin' start? Uh, ask him to d- define the Nine of Hearts. People are always asking me. Uh, also, like you read about, we heard that last night on the broadcast, and a uh, little guy with gumption, we can mm-hmm. assume what that means, but we want to hear it from your words. Mm-hmm. But first, Jax wants to talk to you about a text message he sent you the other night after the game in Anaheim. <laughs> yeah, Pang. Uh, did I respond? <laughs> yeah, you actually did. Uh, it, it kind of goes back to the Jabo situation. Yeah. I sent you a text saying that, uh, you know, it was an amazing job, uh, you know, in, in tough circumstances. But, you know, just thinking, you know, watching you and, and doing your job and being around you, uh, it's amazing just, you know, the, the chemistry and the relationships you have with the guys. But how do you, you know, kind of get stuck or, or kind of get around the uh, the personal relationships and doing your job? and. You know, like a lot of us, we have a lot of information and, and, you know, some of it just doesn't need to be said. But, um, you know, in the, you know, Jay's uh, circumstance, you went on, you did a great job. And but, you know, the emotions come through. And, you know, how do you how do you kind of find the line between, you know, giving too much information and, and but just keeping the, uh, you know, the fans in the know? Yeah, that's you know what, Jax, it's a really good question. And I. I get that asked a lot with uh, with younger broadcasters, or when broadcasters are having a tough time because the the players aren't playing well, or a player's not playing well, and 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 I, I often would think back to uh, my mom when she was watching a game. 
Um, when I played in the NHL, I was I got called up in '84, then in '87, '88, '89. So we didn't have the Directv or the NHL package. And I remember thinking, my mom used to get so upset um, with any broadcaster that said something bad about her boy, you know. And I, I I'll never forget that. And I and so I I often try to think about things that um, are real. The video doesn't lie. I mean, a, a, a turnover is a turnover. I mean, you can't hide it. So you know, you can basically talk about a bad turnover. It's a, it's a turnover in a bad spot. I don't have to say he knows that's a bad spot. I just say it's a turnover. It's a, it's a bad time, bad spot. And then what I try to do after that, I really try hard to find a good play. And then if I find a good play, I might even over-exaggerate the good play. But what a play by, you know, Gunnarsson. Love that. He put his body on the line and, and maybe a little bit more explanation point in there. And, and then the J... The J part is something you, there's no way in the world you can train for that stuff. I mean, you, you know, we, we go to um, Fox Sports Midwest meetings. I was at ESPN for 13 years. They had all kinds of symposiums and people come in. What happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? And I, I just remember our last one because Rich Peverly wasn't far away. And we watched for an hour and a half in, in California at our Fox Sports Midwest meetings, what to do, what to say, what did they do? And, but the other part is I'm way too emotional of a guy. And I am. I'm, 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 I'm not able to keep things going. There's been many times on the air where I have not been able to broadcast because I am emotional. And that was the most difficult one that I could, I mean, I can't imagine another moment in a hallway where it's quiet and it's not radio. I've got to go on camera. The camera's on my face two and a half feet from me. I look to my right. All the dads are down there. They're not 100 feet from me. They're hugging their kids. You know, so now I'm trying to come up with something to say. I can't even look at the camera. I've got to look this way because I'm about to ball. And I don't even really know what's... I don't, I don't even know, Jay's. I was told, don't go too far with this. His eyes were open. He was respond. He was re- he, responsive. Okay, don't go any further than that. I don't know if he was, had his hands going. I don't know, did he say something? Like, I don't know. I knew his dad was dead, made it down there, got in the ambulance. I knew that. And then from that point on, I was just trying to keep it together because then I realized I'm the conduit between what does everybody know and what don't they know. And so I, I, I left that report originally where I nearly had a <laughs> emotional, <laughs> you know, it was tough. And then when I went over to see, I think it was Bob, Bob Murray was on the phone and I could, he was on the phone with Gary Bettman. He was on the phone with uh, Colin Campbell. The referee was there. Our players were there. The coaches were there. Everybody was just, and I was right beside him like I am with you guys. And so I went right back and I said, I got a report. And, and so now I was in a report mode, you know, and, and to try to keep people up to date with here's what's going to happen. There's no way they're playing this hockey game and, uh, and we'll have more on Jay Bolmeister, you know. And then we came back at it again and gave the final, final report. But you know what, Jax, you've been around me a long time. I've been 11 years here. And, you know, there's a fine line between having relationships with players, which we, we do, and that's the greatest part about the job. And then having to say something about a player. And I know sometimes it's no fun, but I do try to think of family members. I try to think of your wife, your kids. I try to think of, you know, there's an aunt, there's an uncle, there's a dad watching somewhere in Ontario or Fernie, British Columbia. And just try to be respectful of that part of it. And I hope young broadcasters go into it and, and, and take that in consideration because I think you can be in it for a long time if you do that part of it. If you want to be a hero right away and you want to make a point and you want to jab guys, 
you're, I don't think you're going to be in the business very long. And you did a phenomenal job, and you nailed it by saying that you were the conduit. And social media just lit up. You know, Darren Pang just said that he's got his eyes open. And, you know, Darren, obviously it was a tough, emotional few days for the St. Louis Blues. But then this past weekend you were able to go on the national broadcast and say that Jay Bowmeister's flying back yeah, to St. Louis. That was, that was great. And I, 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 I was, I was going to say he's on a – it's Southwest flight. He got the no. – <laughs> I, you know what? I, I, the, the Blues have – they, they were, I mean, obviously phenomenal and, and flew them back, you know, on a private charter, which, you know, you would expect. And knowing that his dad was there and knowing, I've texted him several times. Um, and uh, do you have a beer sponsor on this, on the show? No, we don't. You don't have a beer sponsor? Okay. Because I sent him a note. And because of, on Fox Sports Midwest, Urban Chestnut, I do the player of the week. So it was, uh, I think it was today I sent him another text. I sent him a text at 12.05 when I found out that the players... We're, uh, they're getting off the bus, and we got off the bus. We had to switch hotels, so we were, us broadcasters were just shocking. I, I was at the bar having a, a Grey Goose soda and lemon, as a matter of fact, and we were just, we were all just trying to decompress because we were all going through a lot of emotions. We were all kind of having our own therapy session, and uh, and so we saw the players, and we, we were like, there's something good going on, so we asked the players, and they said, well, we just FaceTimed Bo. We were like, oh, my, that is unbelievable. How is he? You know, and it was great, and I thought, I'll just send him a, a text, not thinking anything ab- ab- about it. That was at 12.05 California time. At 12.08, he sent me a note back right away. And it was like, thanks, Panger, with an explanation. I'm reading it to you. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing all right. Hopefully sort out what happened and go from there. I kind of, I lit up. I showed all the guys, and they're like, no way. He responded right away. And I go, it's almost like he's got a bad ankle or something. Like, he was so <laughs> calm about it. And we, I just happened to bring Donnie, Donnie uh, Lux. Um, you know, he's got the whiskeys and the bourbons and he, and he gave me something for Christmas and it's a, it's a, it's a eight year old single malt Irish whiskey and it's called the quiet man. And I think he was maybe making fun of how loud I am, that I'm not the quiet man. I happened to bring it on the trip with me. So Chris Kerber and Rich Jankowski came up to my room when we finally got our rooms and we had that entire bottle and we, we raised 17 toasts to the quiet man, Jay Bowmeister. So I, I, that was kind of neat. Um, Anyway, I sent him a note again today. Everything has to be a couple of beers. Here. I said, do you need a shipment of bourbon chestnut pilsners? Uh, you know, just let me know. They'll be there. And he says, I'm doing great. Great to be home. I'll let you know about the beers, but I got to take it easy for a bit. <laughs> so there, so to give people an idea of, of how he is right now and, and how important of a guy he is. And I know he doesn't say much and you know him, you know, better than I do. When you're in a locker room, you just know guys better. But uh, I've had a couple of night out, nights out with him when he turned into gym. And I've just had so much fun with this guy. He's just... He's just a remarkable guy, so I'm just so glad he's doing well. Yeah, Jim is the uh, the alter ego of, uh, <laughs> of Jay that we all we all love. He gets a little bit a little bit louder, so you can hear him most of the time. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I actually I played uh, with Jay for Team Canada. Uh, he was 16, and I just remember sitting there. I was a couple of years older, and uh, sitting there at one of the lunch tables, and you know he, he doesn't really say much, and. You know, he just, under his breath, he always had just some sarcastic thing that he would say, and he just kind of give the old double take, and, and uh, but yeah, Jay's just got a, he's got a great personality. It's, it doesn't always come out, and you got to be within three feet of him to, to actually uh, see that, that personality, but, uh, you know, we're all glad that he's doing, uh, doing good, and, uh, you know, and, and again, you did a great job with, uh, you know, with reporting and uh, keeping us all uh, abreast of the situation, and, and, uh, and whatnot, but, you know, we want to get a little bit lighter and, and talk about you a little bit, and uh, yeah, that's why we got you on the show. But 
know, going back to Chicago, um, you know, back in 84, you, you signed with the Blackhawks. And what was it like for you just kind of getting that, that first opportunity and, and going to camp and, and being around some people that, you know, you idolized? And, and, you know, who was a guy that you first walked into the room and just said, wow, like, this guy's actually here? Well, you're, you're hitting a, a home run here with this because my feelings, I, I, I was part of the Ottawa 67s. I played three years in Major A. I was a, you know, at that time, I, was, I played underage as Tier 2. I was the first goalie drafted OHL. I was ranked top five in my first draft year. Never got drafted. Won a Memorial Cup. Won a Memorial <laughs> Cup. And, and you know, I, I was lucky. I was in good teams and had a chance to win a lot. And I just thought that I'd sign with a team. I wasn't drafted. Both the drafts I went to. My second draft, you'll love this, because my second the, uh, year being drafted, my, my good buddies got drafted. So Steve Eiserman goes fourth overall. Danny Quinn goes 13th overall. Jimmy Kite was a first rounder. All these guys from Ottawa were all drafted. So I watched the first round. I watched the second round. Larry Kelly was my agent. I went up to where he was, and he had all more of the high-profile guys. I said, Larry, likely not getting drafted, am I? And he goes, he goes you know what, Panger? I, I would just enjoy the day, you know? I said, great. I'm going to go to an Expos game. <laughs> so I, I left the draft, went to the Expos game, came back, met up with Steve and, and Danny, and we, we all drove back to Ottawa together. And so when it, when it got down to winning the Moral Cup, Brian Kilray was our coach, and the team brought us to Florida for a week. And so all of us guys, we knew we'd never, you know, be maybe not never be on the same team again but we had a blast in florida and and brian kilroy says you're getting any is there any offers and i said not one bit i said i've even applied to two schools but i said killer unfortunately my grades aren't so good i can't even get accepted into any universities and he goes well maybe you should play some senior hockey i'm like senior <laughs> hockey so i was really disturbed i was really like in a bad spot i was getting depressed you know not maybe not depressed but i was getting down and then I got a phone call from Larry Kelly, and he says, hey, Vancouver wants you to come to camp. Winnipeg wants you to come to camp, but they don't have a contract for you. And I said, let's hold off. I think if I go to camp without a contract, I think I'll, I'll just be tossed aside. Sure enough, a couple of weeks later, the Blackhawks offered me a two-year deal with a $2,500 signing bonus. Bob Pulper gets on the phone, and he says, you can buy a nice sports car with that. <laughs> anyway, so I ended up going to camp. But the good news is, because it was Larry Kelly, he had a great relationship with Bob Pulford. And Brian Kilray and the 67s, starting with Doug Wilson. So right away, I went into that locker room, like you said, and Doug Wilson was the first guy to grab me and take me by the arm and get me to know everybody. Al Secord, this is Panger. Denny Savard, this is Panger. Steve Larmer, this is Panger. Take care of me, he's not 67. Just like that. And it was unbelievable. And Jim Ralph, who's the funniest guy in the world, he was also uh, a goaltender in, in there as well, so he took care of me. And then, uh, you know, so I, it was really a fortunate thing. But to put, on the, put it on an NHL sweater and to have those guys come down on you, I realized that I, I, I was a long way from being an NHL guy. But I was also never, I've never been in a big city like that before. And th we were going to our, my first skate and we were, went by the projects in a school bus from the Bismarck Hotel. School buses, and it was hot. <laughs> and, and there was a shooting I remember it was the projects on the right. As you go down Washington Avenue, there's Randolph and Washington, and there's Madison. And they were taking out like five or six bodies on gurneys. I remember looking at our guys. We had a couple of guys from Ottawa that were there that had never, we were like, whoa, man, this is like, this is real. And I remember thinking, eyes open, be sharp. You know, this isn't a pee in Ontario anymore. <laughs> be sharp around here. And yeah, I ended up getting recalled uh, right after my 
21st birthday because I think 900 goalies got hurt and I was the last call. And I got to play my first game in Minnesota and Mark Bergevin was my roommate. <laughs> and I gave up a goal in my first shot. <laughs> Lost 4-1, to one, played pretty well, but that was, uh, that was my start. And little did anybody know that you were an assist guy, 1987, 88, six assists. Yeah, I, I, I had a good run of that, but you know, a couple of them were easy. I stopped it behind the net. Doug Wilson got it. He made a 90-foot pass. He was one of the best first-pass defensemen I've ever seen. People don't realize how good he was. He, he could just, like Pronger was exceptional. Lidstrom, exceptional. Doug Wilson was every bit as good as that. Get around, bang, right on the tape. There goes Denny Savard. Home run, goal, goal scored by number 18, Denny Savard, assisted by number, you know, and number 40, Darren Pan. But I did have one legitimate game-winning assist, and it was a set play, and Wayne Presley's my good friend, and I said, they keep dumping in my right corner. I used to switch hands and backhand saucer like Cujo did, and I said, they do it again, I'm just go. And I fired it up in the air, and he had a breakaway shorthanded. He scored, it was a game-winning goal, so there was a couple of legitimate ones in there. And then I had three the next year, so I had nine assists in 81 games. Just a little bit higher point percentage than the guy on my right. <laughs> <laughs> two, two guys on your right? Yeah. I think a lot of my assists were the same. It was either pass it to Al and change, or it was uh, off the glass to uh, Demetra you know, on a breakaway. So I, you know, I, I could uh, relate to some of those uh, you know, kind of secondhand uh, assists. But uh, you know, your career, too, uh, you know, it wasn't very long. But mm. you know, it gave you an opportunity to, to get into broadcasting uh, right away with, with your knee injury and all that was there a thought you know before going into hockey uh or or getting to play was you know just you know applying to schools and and things like that is there something that you thought maybe you'd be doing instead of hockey and and uh until you got this opportunity to to be a broadcaster you know what i i thought actually that uh public relations would probably be my calling even when i was playing major a in ottawa i there was a cable tv show i ended up doing it um, and then I, you know, then I thought really I, long and hard about the broadcasting aspect of it. And I think that if I would have loved broadcasting through high school, I probably would have been real serious about school because it was, it was something you love. I'm one of those guys, probably like you guys, if you have passion for something, I'm all in. If it doesn't entertain, I'm just, I'm all out. Like I just can't even get involved in it. So when I turned pro in Milwaukee, I, uh, I did a radio show. And then in Saginaw, every Friday at 8 a.m., I did a radio show. And so I kind of started. And then when I played my first year with Chicago Jacks, I, um, there, I had a producer named Lisa Seltzer. And last year in Palm Springs, I got to get, together with her. She was instrumental in my broadcasting career. And uh, she said, I'm going to get you to do everything, everything. Like, there's not one thing that you're not going to do. And I said, that's awesome. And then I happened to tear my ACL. So when I tore my ACL... I was able to do college hockey games on Sports Channel. I think it was Sports Vision or Sports Channel at the time. And it was all CCHA games. One of my first ones was Nelson Emerson and Rob Blake, uh, um, Bowling Green. And then I, uh, one time I got a phone call from Lisa. She says, you're going to do a uh, magazine show uh, downtown. And so I, I, said, I said, that sounds great. I said, what, who am I, who am I, what am I doing? She goes, wear a shirt and tie. It's going to be a live TV show. And you're going to throw it to break. I'll be in your ear. And I go, who am I hosting? She goes, uh, Gary Fensick and uh, Walter Payton. I'm like, no way. Downtown at one of the great bars in downtown Chicago. I'm like, all right, sounds good. And I, I did this show, and I had that on my resume tape. And then I did play-by-play. I had that on my resume tape. And then I hosted something else. So I had a whole bunch of things that I felt like, well, you know what? I can do some things here. And uh, I did a hotline for the Blackhawks. I did pregame on radio, postgame on radio. 
then I was hired by ESPN and I end up leaving that part of it and doing uh, and doing ESPN for 13 years. So it's not like I just jumped in and I started doing games. I, I did everything you could possibly do to get ready for whatever career was going to come my way. And the main reason, Jack, that he tried to make the NHL is because he knew it would be a lot harder to get into media. <laughs> <laughs> He's a wise man. Yeah. But on a serious note, Panger, I've watched this for years, ever since you came to St. Louis from Arizona. You know, the players just gravitate towards you. There could be three or four of us print guys, or, you know, now I work for The Athletic, and, you know, a player walks into a room, and usually it's, uh, hey, guys, but if Darren Pang's standing there with us, they walk in, and the first thing that they say is, uh, hey, Darren, Panger, what's up, buddy? What's up? <laughs> well, I like that part of it. I think I've always wondered about that part of it. Am I like old like a grandpa or, you know, like a dad? <laughs> or, you know, I, I'm hoping that it, it's because there's trust along the way that, uh, you know. And the other part about that I really like, I like coaching. I did. I, I thought that I was going to get into coaching. I thought that I was going to be in management. I thought I thought a lot of things. And but I know when I talk to players, I I don't know. We watch games. I know if Jax is having a tough time, you know, playing or if he's lacking confidence or something. You want to talk to players and reinforce something good. Like I, I like that part. Of it. I think there's a. I think that's an important part of it. And if the players trust you, and they like being around you, then man, that is a great feeling. Because um, last year when the team won the Stanley Cup. I was really seriously thinking that that was going to be my last year of, of being in broadcast. And I, I thought long and hard that this has been a good run and that maybe I want to do something else and recharge the batteries a little bit that way. And I got to tell you, when, when the team won and they included all of us and they included us like they included us and they made us feel so great from the minute we were in the locker room to being on the plane till afterwards, it was, you know what? It, it brought back a little hunger for me again and it made me... Think, think like this is too much fun like why would I want to go anywhere else right now and and so that's a credit to these guys and, and all the guys the, the, when I came to St. Louis I was never a St. Louis Blue everybody knows that but the players made me feel like it from the alumni to Jacks to the older players they made me feel like I, I had been a St. Louis Blue so that made me feel a lot better coming into St. Louis because it's not easy you know you go from you know, you, if you go to your the team that you played for, even though I only played 81 games with the Blackhawks, everybody still thinks, you know, and it was a long time ago, that's the only team you played for. But there's been a million players that played for St. Louis and Florida and Chicago and whatever. But I think mine was unique because being in broadcasting. But thanks to everybody, I was able to just kind of blend in here. It doesn't matter. Once you put that sweater on once, that Hawk sweater. That's right. <laughs> I, oh, I know. I, I, I felt that early. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No question. Yeah, it's all part of the, the hockey family. And, yeah. uh, you know, you play one game uh, – you know, in the NHL, the AHL, the East Coast Hockey League, and uh, you know, there's a bond. Just, you know, it's you know, not even close to you know to being in the military, but you know, it's kind of you know that same feeling of you know you take care of your own. And uh, but you know, we're we're happy you're uh, you're in St. Louis, and uh, you know, we appreciate all your time. I, th- I think the next time that you're on, we'll we'll talk about you getting stuffed in the uh, overhead bins and the uh, the buses How and the, the airplanes. That? How did you hear that? <laughs> you, you did some homework. Work on this. Well, I, I, I had I had a buses, bus rides. Yeah, I brought my pillow. I had the old Walkman up there. Slept like a baby. <laughs> Everything was good. Got on the plane one time. I went up. I went up there. One of my first years in the NHL, the uh, Murray Bannerin stuck me in a goalie bag, and they pulled me out of the rink, and everyone was asking where I was. I opened up the zipper. I'm like, hey! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and I want to ask you about that. I wanted to ask you about this personality. People see you on TV. They see you between the benches. You know, you're coming out of the box a lot of times with your, you know, your commentary, uh, but away from the ice. I mean, I've seen you on a bus. Mm-hmm. You know, the Blues play in Vancouver. we got a four-hour four flight. 
you get off and you're just as wound up at two o'clock in the morning as you are at noon. Where did that come from? And do you ever tone it down? Mm, I, I do, but that, that's kind of where, the way I've been wired. I mean, I, I mean, I had a hard time going to school in the morning when I was playing tier two as a 15 year old and 16 year old with all the travel and then major junior A. I'm wound. I'm wound from by the time 4:30 comes around. It's you know you're on you're on. I think being a goaltender, you had you have no choice too more than any other position. And uh, so then when the night goes on, like by 11 o'clock, I'm 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 fired up. Like Lynn knows that. My wife knows that. She's she's out, she's tucked in bed. I go up. I get the dogs. I I take them out. I sit downstairs. I watch some hockey. I I often watch our games back again because that's when my brain is fresh. I take my notepad. I watch it again. And I take down some notes and I, I write things like, why did you say that? That's a dumb comment. Oh, that's not bad. All right. And that's kind of it. And then I, I finally, you know, by about 1.30, I am lights out. And then once, I, once, my light, once, once I'm done, my batteries are out. I, I, I empty the tank. I'm done. Any uh, Red Bull monsters? Does it take anything or is it all um, pure adrenaline? There? Yeah, I, I stayed away from the Red Bulls. I, I, I started going five-hour energies uh, mixed with water. And lately I haven't even needed that. So I've been I'm pretty natural, but I do drink a lot of ca- caffeine, a lot of coffee during the, during the course of a night. By the time 4.30, 5 o'clock runs around, that's probably another reason why I'm a little fired up. But when we, after the game, when we're on those buses, I like that part of it. And, and I, I do have way more energy on the bus. We get the music going. We, we, I can see the player's bus going one way, and we've got a couple of cold pops going this way we've got the music going where the game is the game but and they're you know it's quiet over there and every once in a while i say you guys one guy per game should come on our bus because we the got fun the fun bus oh the fun bus got the tunes going and they're singing and videotaping and trying to make fun of jim thomas now that you're gone and and uh, tom timmerman as well so we, we do have a lot of fun and jacks he'll say it's a verizon wireless nhl <laughs> update tonight boston two <laughs> something else yeah you know we always uh you see the loss uh, uh, at a game, and there's two buses sitting there, and I always wanted to jump on that fun bus. Instead of <laughs> you should have come over. To, yeah, you always snuck a few pops of the, you know, the back of the player yep. bus too, just uh, <laughs> to, uh, you know, offset the uh, the loss. But uh, right before we leave, we want to ask you, uh, you know, the Blues just made, uh, uh, just acquired uh, Marco Scandella from uh, from Montreal. We just want to get a little scouting report from you and, and what you've heard uh, or seen uh, of him as a player. Yeah, I guess. You know what, Jack's probably like a lot of our Blues fans. Just the the playoff series against the Minnesota Wild and the battles in the Central Division, Minnesota. That's the player I remember most, and I really liked him then. Um, I think he got a little lost in transition, losing environment in in, in Buffalo, losing environment in Montreal. Um, but I did talk to Bruce uh, Boudreau, who had him, and uh, he thought he was, if not their best defenseman in that playoff series against us, it was close. He said he's he's good at he, he boxing out things that the Blues have done real well now. Instead of man-on-man and your defenseman leaving and chasing and going in circles, I mean, you want your defenseman of seven-game players, and correct me if I'm wrong, I want my D beside me, and I want, I want to make a save, and I want my D to cross-check the other guy in the throat to get him out of my way. And I'll take the puck, I'll cover it up, but if I think there's going to be a loose stick there, then I'm going to lack trust. And if I lack trust, then we're all in trouble. And so if, if, if Bruce Boudreau tells me that he's a, he boxes out well, then I'm good with that. Sounds like he's got a great personality, which, again, jumping into a Stanley Cup championship team's not easy. I think that's going to be good for him. He's an outgoing guy. Um, I think he's got a good shot. I think he jumps into the play. Uh, reports are that sometimes you've got to kind of bring him back a little bit. Um, but So I think there's a lot of things to like about him. The range, the size. You know, he looks like he could skate. 
as well. And I think you have to be able to skate in our system, especially when that weak side D has to jump up in the play and be the fourth man in. So so I'm excited about it. I think this is a good move for the for the Blues. Last thing for Darren Peng of Fox Sports Midwest. Uh, I get asked all the time about some of your catchphrases, and so uh, I figure that we should just let you explain. Uh, where did holy jumping come from in case next time uh, Mark, Marco Scandella is on the ice and does something and you a holy jumping, we know what you're talking about. It, uh, little player with gumption. Um, I used to have, a, when I was at ESPN, I had a, a clothing company out of Denver called, um, uh, it was called Dangle Athletic. So we changed it to Pangers Danglers. And once a week on ESPN, I, I would get, give out five hats to guys that had these extraordinary dangling moments with great hands. So uh, there's one game in New Jersey, Steve Levy and I were doing the game, and uh, they recalled a kid named Steve Sullivan, little guy, right-hand shot. I was bragging about him the whole game, the whole game, the whole game, he was doing nothing. I was getting frustrated. Finally, he danced. Two uh, Philadelphia Flyer players went forehand, backhand, top shelf, and I went holy. I wanted to go holy effing jumping. Like I was, <laughs> I was whole, and, but I went holy jumping, what a play. And I was so excited, and Steve Levy looked at me after and he said, I don't know where that came from, but it stays with you. And then he, he but he goes, don't, don't overuse it. That's too good. Yeah. And so, uh, so that was that. And uh, when Steve Sullivan played his 1,000th game, I sent him a video saying he was the first holy jumping. So it was a big moment for little Sully. Um, and then uh, the Nine of Hearts is a euchre game. I mean, playing euchre in Canada. I mean, your partner called spades, and you get stuck with the nine of hearts and the nine of diamonds. And I always had a saying with, actually, me and Stevie Heiserman, we would grew up together. And if we went out and tried to, you know, uh, we thought we had a chance with a with a girl, he'd come back and say, "How'd you do?" And I say, "I got the nine of hearts," and he'd say, "I got the nine of hearts too." And it was just a saying. So the first time somebody danced somebody on the ice, I said, "He just gave him the nine of hearts," and it just kind of grew from there. And like you read about, it's because you're saying know. that everybody uh, reads my articles the next day in the paper, like you read about. Yeah, maybe that. But like you read about, just to kind of come and, and why wouldn't they is kind of a playoff of uh, Bob Cole. And why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't they? So kind of that. A tribute to Bob Cole. Darren Pang, it was fun. Yeah, my pleasure, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks, Panger. Love you as a person and thanks, love buddy. listening to you. So thanks for coming. See you at uh, Meadowbrook, big guy. Oh, well, you're going to take all my money again. It's <laughs> <laughs> episode 37 of We Went Blues. A big thank you to Darren Pang of Fox Sports Midwest for joining us for Barrett Jackman, for myself, Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. Stay tuned to more We Went Blues episodes next week. We appreciate you listening.